I've really had fun with this new series that we're doing called SWAT, this spiritual warfare and tactics series. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm a visual learner, so looking at Fred, our Roman centurion, has been very helpful for me, or if it's because I'm having fun trying on the armor during setup. Um, I don't know. It could be either. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do know that I've really um, enjoyed kind of going through these uh, you know, this armor of God together as a church. But I, I've recognized that this week, while um, I, I know where we're going with it, I wasn't quite, uh, I, I felt uneasy about this week. And I don't normally, it's like, okay, cool, and we borrowed this series from another church. So um, I, I contacted one of my best friends who actually happened to be part of writing this whole series. And I was like, hey, um, I don't know what to do about this. I don't, I don't really, I'm not there. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I just don't have peace about this message. And he's like, which one? I'm like, the, the one on peace. <laughs> ah, crap. And I thought, oh, what do I do with this, right? Um, it was humbling to realize that as someone who is given the opportunity to talk about what peace is today, I, I need to tell you that I I struggle with this one. I've wrestled with this one. And as we unpack this idea today, I am not coming to you as an expert or as someone who has this down, who's at peace at all times. That's just something I believe God's working on. And, and I knew as I was preparing this, there was this moment of God saying, see, I'm glad you have the breastplate of righteousness on because the Holy Spirit has some more internal work to do on you. Oh, it's good to be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And here's what I know, is that I know that I am not alone when it comes to wrestling with what peace is, and I am thankful that the Apostle Paul included this in his armor. And so uh, just to have an idea of these pieces of armor again, would you stand with me? And uh, if it's in bold and italic, would you read those with me out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 14, 15? Let's start with... Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You can be seated. Now, so much of this armor that we're going over, God gives to us for our battle, right? This is um, from him to us, and it's to benefit us. So we talked about our um, belt of truth to start out with, that this is our core beliefs, our convictions, and the truth, Jesus, the man. And, and we have this idea of truth is really God's opinion about any matter, not ours. This is what holds up all the other pieces of armor. And then we unpacked the breastplate of righteousness, that this is held up by the belt of truth, so the weight doesn't sit on our shoulders, and we defined righteousness as upright living that aligns with God's expectations. It's great to know that Jesus has given us his righteousness to protect our hearts, to protect what's vital so that the Holy Spirit can do a work on the inside, even though we don't feel like we're living up to his expectations. This gives the Holy Spirit time and space to conform us to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be strapping on our boots of peace, our boots of peace. And I'm calling them boots here simply because Paul's been using a military metaphor. And since 
our combat in our army, our infantry, all the people that serve our country, they don't wear uh, sandals, do they? That would be a little awkward. They wear boots. So I'm going to continue to reference them as boots. But what you should know is that in the times that Paul is writing, they were not issued boots. They were actually issued, Roman military was issued a military sandal. They were given a sandal. It would go around the foot, and it would actually wrap up around to the ankle. So you think about a nice pair of high tops, right? These shoes were made specifically for rough terrain. They were made to be able to traverse the rocky terrain that you would find all throughout the Middle East. These are not your $1 Old Navy flip-flops, okay? So if that's what you have in mind, that's not what we're looking at. These are durable leather. They were ventilated, so they've got some breathability. And the most distinctive part was actually on the bottom of the shoe. Not here, but if you look at this picture, you will see the hobnails on the bottom of a shoe. These hobnails were actually used as offensive and defensive in a sense that on the defense, it allowed you, if it was raining, if it was windy, if you felt like you were in a slick, a slick spot, you could get yourself grounded a little more. If someone came at you, you could find your grounding better than they could. But on the offense, it gave you traction that you might not have had against an enemy who was retreating. And so Paul, in verse 15, to the church in Ephesus, this is what he says about these shoes. He says, and with your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Let's just be upfront. This is not the clearest verse, is it? This is actually pretty frustrating when you look at it because every other piece of armor is like the armor and the attribute, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. The hel- you know, you're like, oh, good. It's the piece of the peace. That's not what these shoes are. And, and I will be honest with you, as a confession, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I... I, I like to think I know what it's saying, when honestly, I don't. And so I kind of pretend that I know what it says, and I skip over it to get to easier pieces to where I can understand. And when it comes to the armor of God, I have almost always skipped over verse 15 with the shoes, because this just never made sense to me. And so I didn't understand it, and to be honest with you, after processing a lot this week, I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't because I feel like I really could have used this and stepped into these boots a lot more in the last 20 months, maybe even the last two years. When it comes to our boots, the first off, the thing that we need to know is that we need a custom fitting, right? We need a special fitting. You can have the right belt, you can have the right breastplate, but if your shoes don't fit, if, if your shoes are not the right size, you're limited, right? You don't wear steel-toe boots if you're going to go to the beach. That would be ridiculous, correct? You, you're not going to wear ballet shoes if you want to go play soccer, are you? You're not going to wear cleats if you want to go do ballet. You see, you need the right shoes for the right activity. And Paul's saying, listen, if you want to stand against the enemy, you need the right kind of fitting for your feet. And this fitting comes from the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace. And come on, this just sounds Jesus-y, doesn't it? This just sounds so churchy. And it's like, oh, so I think we say these things, but I think we have no idea what this means. Okay, I'm going to take that back. 
you might know what this means, but I have had no idea. Like, oh yeah, gospel of peace, it's Jesus. He, he, yeah, I'm sure he said that somewhere, right? Listen, let's break this down a little bit because it's important for us to get. And let's look at that first word, gospel. Gospel, this word here is a word that we use to describe the biographies of Jesus, don't we? We always say the, the gospel of Mark. Or the go- gospel simply is a word that means, in the Greek, the good news. So the biography of Mark or the, uh, the gospel of Mark is really the good news about Jesus written by Mark. But we use this word gospel because it's good news. And we all like good news. So the biographies of Jesus are the good news about Jesus. And they are all about Jesus breaking through the dysfunction of humanity to live the perfect life for us so that we could be in unity with God once again that we would be forgiven, that we could have hope. This is good news, amen? This is the gospel. This is the good news. So part of our shoe fitting comes from good news, and I don't know about you, but I love being the person who gets to deliver good news. I hate delivering bad news, but you know when you got that good news and you can't wait to share it, and you're like, "Uh, that's awesome. But the good news isn't, just about Jesus, the good news here, it's the gospel of what? The gospel of peace. Peace is the good news. And in the Greek, this word is really all about tranquility. It's about being free from worry, from conflict. It's very similar to the Hebrew word for peace. Does anybody know the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Shalom. Shalom is one of the most versatile words in the Hebrew language. It's a noun, it's a verb, it's an adverb. It is everything because the desire of the the Jewish nation is that shalom is not just a greeting or a goodbye, but it is a blessing in and around everything. It has everything to do with the same thing, this tranquility, but it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It's also about hoping and stepping into what's broken, what's divided, bringing a restoration to where there is conflict. Shalom and peace is internal and it's external. It's deeply abiding and resting in your heavenly father knowing God, you have all things in your hands. I am at peace. Does anyone else here feel like they could use a little more of that peace in their life? Yeah. Does anybody else here think that our world could use a little bit more of this peace in their life? Yeah. Our enemy, just so you know, completely disagrees. He completely disagrees, and he will do all he can to fight you and to fight us because here's the truth. If the enemy can steal your peace, he can steal your hope. If the enemy can steal your peace, he can steal your hope. And when he invades and goes on the offensive and he attacks, one of his missions is to disrupt the peace in you and in the world around you. I'm just going to be honest. I think he's been hard at work at the world around us. And I know that he's been hard at work here in the family of Crossbridge. I know that, that he has been attacking. I mean, uh, in our church, we have seen 
Too many loved ones passed away in the last 20 months. Some from COVID, some from um, other um, unfortunate circumstances, and every one of them. The enemy has come to disrupt peace. He has come to sow lies. He has come to say, you should feel shame. You should feel this. You didn't redeem the time you had with them. These are the problems that you're having. You are wondering if they really knew God. You should wonder about the enemy. The enemy is taking away any sorts of peace. The fear and the anxiety that reigns in some of these families it robs them from healthy grieving and loss that truly does result in peace. I've seen this attack from the enemy in the marriages of our church. People who have been married for years live in the same home and yet have never been further apart from each other. Physically present, but emotionally distant. Seen the enemy at work in our families with some of our kids who've got some habits right now that, if not addressed and submitted to the authority of Christ, these will lead down a path of unrest and destruction. And parents call with panic and unrest, anxiety and fear. The enemy has been hard at work in our church, and I need you to know that. I've had too many calls and too many visits over disrupted peace. Our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual peace are all under attack. And the enemy knows that if he can steal our peace, he can steal our hope. And if he takes our hope, do you know what happens? We become cynical. We become passive. And if we become passive, we are open to a field day of attack from the enemy who goes, sweet, you're not even going to fight back? You're not even going to defend yourself? Let's go, spotter and lanternfly style. And they attack in hordes all over us. During his time on earth, I need you to know that Jesus experienced the constant attack from the enemy. He knew the enemy would then attack anyone who followed him and dedicated themselves to his teaching. I know this because at the Last Supper with the disciples in John chapter 16, the great news of Jesus and the story of John, it says this, I have told you these things. And when he says these things, um, he's referencing just before that, he told them that life was going to be very, very difficult, that there were going to be hard times that they were about to come onto. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have, what's that word? You may have peace. In this world, you will have... You will. In this world, you will have trouble. You will be attacked in disheartening ways. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus knows that when things get hard, it's easy to lose heart. It's easy to lose hope. And this is when the enemy loves to attack you. And he tries to dishearten you, to discourage you, to make you feel like nothing will ever change and that this is all there is. But Jesus says, you can have hope because that's not the story you have to live by. I've overcome the world. The key to overcoming the world, and I believe this is what we need to, it's not just overcoming the world, the key to healing our world is we need to step into the boots of peace. Because when we're standing in the gospel, 
when we're standing in the good news of Jesus, it gives us a power far beyond our ability. We just sang about it, that, that he's our champion, right? That, that he gives us the ability to tear down walls, to move into things that we could not do on our own because you and I don't have the ability to do that. And yet, we step into the boots of peace to bring hope to the hopeless and to those in despair. Please note, it's not about our abilities. It's, it's about who we are in Christ. And, and maybe this is a better way to just describe that to you because it's hard to think, what do you mean? Um, I'm about to date myself right now, so we're going to go with it. Anybody remember who D. Brown is? Come on, D. Brown. All right, there's one-handed back basketball folks from back in the day. Okay, there we go. Um, D. Brown, oh, that's right, a Boston guy. He was a, a guard for the Celtics in the early 90s, and he's not famous for being a guard for the Celtics. He's actually famous for his performance in the 1991 um, NBA uh, slam dunk contest. And he is uh, famous because there is a shoe. Does anybody remember this shoe? The pump, the Reebok pumps? Oh, yeah, now I see hands, the Reebok pumps. Well, here's what's funny. Dee Brown goes, and he's in this contest. He's at 6'1". He's the shortest guy in the entire contest. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to put on a little show. And he's got his Reebok pumps on. And you know what he does? Right before he bends down, and you see him there just... The announcers start going, oh, he's pumping up. And he's got the announcers engaged. If you watch this back on YouTube, you hear the stadium start to get engaged. And so he picks up the ball. And he does this amazing slam dunk, this killer no-look, like, or, or behind-the-back slam that was awesome. He finishes the slam, and then he goes, and he lets the air out. Three more dunks. He pumps them up, slams it down, lets it out until his final no-look dunk that seals the deal. It was amazing. People are going nuts. The crowd's going wild. And let me tell you, in that moment, my entire village, if you will, the, 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 the hood that I grew up in, everybody needed a pair of Reebok pumps. Everybody needed a pair of pumps. And so they went out and they bought pumps and we played a lot of ball where I grew up. And, and here's what's, you know what happened? This is great. Over the next couple of weeks, people got them and they'd always show up at the court down the street and they would be like, oh yeah? And they would pump him up thinking, I'm about to throw down. I'm about to jump up and just, just lay it in. And, and it's wild because you know what happened, right? Come on. Reebok made people think, if you get the pumps, you get the abilities. But they didn't get any more vert. They still couldn't touch the net. When, when they went to go dribble that ball, they didn't dribble it like a guard. They dribbled it off their pump. It didn't matter, right? It didn't matter. You could pump all you want. You still suck. It's the way this works. Like it, it didn't make a difference in your game. But listen, as followers of Christ, what we know is that when we put on custom boots that God has made for us, we have the opportunity to stand in peace. A peace that we could never manufacture on our own. 
No matter how much we pump, no matter how much we pray, no matter how much we try to just be calm and cool and say whatever mantra you want, we could never do this on our own. So Jesus has died on the cross so that we could have peace with God and we could bring peace to others. He's done what we could never do and we put on these boots and it changes everything around us. So remember, these boots are defensive and they're offensive, right? Almost like a pair of pumps would be. They're defensive because they help us hold our ground against the enemy, and they're offensive because we're called to take ground against the enemy. And I just want to look at those really quick, you know, with D. Brown in mind, going defense-offense here. On defense, here's what's beautiful. When you put on these boots of peace, God's peace guards your hearts and your minds. It guards your hearts and your minds. One of the places that the battle for peace takes place is on the battlefield of our mind. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 10, he says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, when he wrote this, he's sitting under house arrest in Rome, and, and he's watching the sentry guard dressed like this, standing at the door, and what's this guard's job? To make sure that people who aren't supposed to come in to see Paul don't come in. And to make sure that Paul does not leave. He's guarding the house that Paul's at and what comes and what goes. And, and this is it. This is what Paul means by take every thought captive. We, we attract all sorts of unhealthy thinking, don't we? Thoughts that are godless. Thoughts that are negative. Thoughts that are self-condemning, self-gratifying, fearful and when those thoughts start to come, the sentry of our mind needs to stand guard. And in the boots of peace, it's like, whoa, 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 stop, hold up, hold up. What's, why, why do you think you should be getting in here? And here's a way to know, like, are, are these thoughts evil or are these thoughts of God? Like, evil thoughts, they're going to make you fearful. They're going to send you into a place of frenzy, but God's thoughts are going to bring you a calm. And a comfort. Satan's thoughts, evil thoughts, are, they're going to bring confusion and coercion. God's thoughts will bring you clarity. They'll give you direction. Satan's thoughts will do nothing but bring condemnation. Endless amounts of discouragement. But God's thoughts, God's thoughts remind you of his forgiveness. And encouragement. We need to stand like a guard, like a sentry to our thoughts. And if they are from God, we let them pass. And if they are from Satan, we have to fight them with our belt of truth to say, this is not from you, God. And so I'm throwing it out and I'm standing in these boots of peace. I will not let them enter. This is how it works. It's defensive, right? And Paul writes a ton about this in all of his letters to all these churches that he loves because there is a sense of unrest and unpeace everywhere, inside and outside the church. And until this letter to the Philippians, he writes this in Philippians 4. I just love this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the, what is it? And the peace of God. And the peace of God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it's not going to make sense. 
This is what guards your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we put on the boots of peace, we begin to take every thought captive, like a sentry, and the peace of God guards our soul. It protects us. It calms us. It keeps us stable. And I love that when Paul writes, like, it transcends all understanding. This peace doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to the people around us. It definitely doesn't make sense to the world around us. And I know this because I, I think, like, Jesus walked in these boots, right? He had a sense of peace, the sentry guard and his thoughts, all that stuff. And yet I see people freaking out around him because of his peace. And, and you could pick on the Pharisees, the culture, whatever. No, his own disciples. They're sitting in a boat, a huge storm comes on, and he's resting. And they're like, ah, we're going to die. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Take it easy. I got this. Was Jesus not concerned? No, no, he understood what was going on. But he was at peace. He did not let the panic of the people around him cause him to move into a place of panic. He guarded his thoughts. He guards his mind. He guards his heart and the peace of God that doesn't make sense even to his followers is what holds him where he is and allows him to play great defense. He can be at peace no matter where he is and none of this will make sense to the world around him. And it won't make sense to the world around us. And when I see and I read the biographies of Jesus, I see the Prince of Peace. And I see him living in a world of rage, of division, and anxiety. And the world is constantly trying to pull him into that vortex that spirals into nothing but the pit of hell. But fitted with the boots of peace, he guards everything that comes at him. And he could stand his ground. So I, I just want to ask you on defense, how's your peace today? How are you standing? Are, you, are you, you wrapped into anxiety and fear? Is this what's running who you are? Does it look like what the world offers? Or is it strapped into a custom set of boots? Maybe even more scary of a question is, are you even playing defense? Or have you given up on this? If not, if you're not even playing defense, there's no way you could step into the offense. Because unless we can guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus with this peace, we are of no good to the world around us. And that's the offense of the boots of peace. Not only does God want you to have peace, but he wants you to make peace. He wants you to make peace a part of your ministry to the unbelievably divided world around you. I might even be as bold to say that we aren't called to be peacekeepers. We are called to be peacemakers. Let me say that again, just to make sure you hear that. We are not called to be peacekeepers. We are called to be peacemakers. Amen? Keepers, no offense to you goalies, but... You stay on defense. That's where you should be. Keepers stay on defense, but makers? Makers need to go on offense. Jesus himself tells us right in the very beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this, blessed are the peacekeepers. No, no, he doesn't say peacekeepers, does he? He says, blessed are the what? 
The peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Followers of Jesus, children of God are called to be peacemakers. And I love that when Paul is writing about this armor to a church that he desperately loves, even though he's under house arrest in Rome, he's on offense. Do you know this? He's on offense. He's writing to this church in Ephesus because there is some massive division in this city. Massive division. A lot of it is centered around two different groups that would be frustrated with each other, the um, Jewish population and the Gentile population, or everyone who was not Jewish. And these two nationalities, if you will, um, they would just collide, and it was violent everywhere that they went. And it wasn't just outside the church. It became a tension inside the church. And to all the letters that Paul writes, you find this tension inside the church that two groups of people cannot get along. And so Paul goes on the offensive. You're not allowed to distrust each other anymore. You're not allowed to attack each other. You can't hate each other. You need to bring the peace of Jesus to all humanity. It has to start in your church. This is how followers of Jesus need to be leading we should be on the front of the charge for making peace inside and outside the church. In chapter 2 of this very letter with the armor of God, so four chapters back in verse 13, he says, for he himself, and he's talking about Jesus here, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus, say those last two words with me, making peace. Thus making peace. And I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like Paul could have written that to us today. Through the gospel of peace, Jesus has created a new humanity, a new family. And where there are divisions of hostility, we are called to break them down through the death and the resurrection of Jesus because God's peace breaks down walls. That's the offensive part of this. God's peace breaks down walls. But in a divided America... I feel like we've been working against God. And I feel like we've been handing him the enemy who divides and builds walls more bricks to build a, a bigger barrier to divide us from each other. And it breaks my heart when we're more vocal about promoting divisions, defending our tribes, than we are about loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. We work so hard to keep this false peace. It's not peace. It's like false peacekeeping. It's not even real. We just put up with each other, and we do this in our own little kingdoms, and we miss this call to go on offense of peacemaking. Sadly, the devil has succeeded in creating divisions all around us. We have all sorts of groups and peoples that uh, they hate each other right now. 
conservatives and liberals, Republicans, Democrats, vaxxed, anti-vaxxed, Black Lives Matter, the police, masks, no masks, rural versus urban versus suburban, West Coast, East Coast, Philly sports teams versus anybody else. Seriously, though, it didn't take long to come up with that list. Isn't that sad? It didn't take long to write that down, and I could probably go a hundred more with the divisions that exist with us right now. But why can we look at any one of these divisions and find Christ followers, Jesus followers, brothers and sisters under the lordship of Christ, furthering division and disrupting peace? We're at the center of these divisions. Why are we burning bridges and not making them? I, I know you're probably thinking right now, and I, I get it. Yeah, Jimmy, that's great. These boots of peace, you want to do all that? That's nice. But sometimes these boots were made for stomping. They're not just made for walking. They're made for stomping. And so sometimes you got to step in, and you know, you, you got to be the person who burns the bridge. And you got to be, even Jesus did that right when he was at the temple. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. But you do realize that was only once in the entire time that he was alive that we have recorded at the end of the three years that he was really doing public ministry that he went in and flipped tables and did all that. That that was only one time and it was in a temple that he was so familiar with that the teachers knew his name, he knew their name, and the people that came by him day in and day out, he knew them and they knew him. He's been there for 30 plus years trying to make peace. And when the house of the Lord was not treated the way his father said it would be treated, by flipping the tables, he initiated a peacemaking process that never, ever could have existed unless he was crucified for us. So please hear me. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom to make the best decisions at any given time to make godly, wise decisions. And I think that you and I don't make decisions based out of the most godly wisdom, if I'm being honest. We make gut reactions, gut calls. We react. We don't lead with peacemaking. We need wisdom. And Jesus' half-brother, James, he gives us an idea of what godly wisdom looks like. He says, but the wisdom from above, this godly wisdom is, first of all, it's pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy. And it's the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. When you look at how you walk through life right now, are these the qualities you see in your life? Pure, peace-loving, gentle, yielding to others, full of mercy, not showing favoritism, always sincere. I only ask because James tells us this is what godly wisdom looks like lived out. This, this, is, this is it. And he tells us how this happens and where it comes from. And if you look, it says it's full of mercy and it's the what? The fruit of good deeds. Please hear me. Peacemakers don't sit on defense. They don't throw stones from the outsides and they don't critique from the couch. Instead, peacemakers, they go and plant seeds of peace. 
They don't sit back. They move forward. We are called to step forward into the environments where there has been no peace to represent Jesus, the Prince of Peace. This is what we are called to do, but it's so much easier for us as followers of Jesus to sit on a couch and critique the news and say, I can't believe it's happening. Boy, the world's so screwed up right now, isn't it? Shame on us for doing nothing but critiquing people, and then we have the audacity to make excuses about it. You know, if I show up there, these people are going to say something about it. I don't want to offend those people, so I'd rather not step into this. Yeah, but by now showing up and being a peacemaker, I think we're offending him. Because he says, my children are peacemakers. That's who is blessed. If we are his sons and daughters, citizens of his kingdom, then we should be people of peace. You and I need to be a person of peace. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church, if every one of his followers, if we were the people not waging war on our culture, but we were waging active peacemaking, how different would our world look? How different right now, just think about this, how different would your home look if you were a peacemaker? How different would your family look if you were a peacemaker? If you were a peacemaker, how different would your neighborhood look? How different would our towns, our cities, our world look if we were really active peacemakers? And I know it's probably easy to write off, like, Jimmy, you're, you're talking like utopia. They write about this in, like, kids' fiction books, you know? This is not the world that we live in. It's impossible. It's impractical for Jesus to break down some of these walls of hostility. It just isn't going to happen. I need to tell you, if you can't, then I will stand at the guard of your mind and mine as a sentry to say that is a lie from the pit of hell. That if we give up before God has even had a chance to get started through us, what a waste. If we don't have the hope that restoration can happen and that we should be near the center listening and connecting people and saying both deserve to be heard. What are we doing? But we can't do that on the offense if we don't have the defense. This is why we're called to take every thought captive, to live in this wisdom. And I believe that Jesus says we can do better than sitting and throwing stones and just putting up with each other. It's not okay for you to hate your enemies. It's not okay for you just to put up with people. Jesus says it's time for some offense. It's time to wage peace. It's time to wage peace. This is what we are called to do. You and I are not called to take our boots and to do a nice little gut shot, right? We're not called to take out knees we are called to stand with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To say, I don't need to believe these lies, these lies, because I am girded with truth, but I am willing to be a bridge to get stepped on and beat up in order that there might be restoration in the world around us. Crossbridge, this is who I want us to be. And if we are going to go to war for each other and fight through this SWAT, 
then we absolutely need what Jesus says. And I want to leave you with his words from the great news that's going to come from John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So where are you today? Do you stir the pot? Are you someone who brings division? Or do you bring peace? Shalom, restoration. Our peace comes from Christ and we minister with the ability that he gives us. These are custom boots worth stepping into, amen?